Welcome to another episode of What Makes an S. My name's Hannah and I'm a nurse. In each episode of this podcast, I interview a different nurse from a different speciality. I ask them questions about why they wanted to be nurses, their hopes and aspirations for the future, some of the different job roles they've had within the nursing profession, all with the goal of trying to find out what makes a nurse. I'm really excited to welcome you to this brand new series. If you haven't listened to us before, welcome. You can also listen to all our previous episodes on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I really do love hearing your feedback, so be sure to follow me on Instagram and on Twitter. All the information is in the podcast description. And if you really enjoy the podcast, please be sure to leave us a five-star review on whichever platform you're listening to this on, as that means more people can find us and listen to us too. Now all the formalities are out of the way, I'm really excited to introduce you to this week's guest. This week, I'm speaking to Nicola. Nicola is a staff nurse in a busy emergency department in a major trauma centre in London. She graduated from the University of Glasgow in 2020 with a degree in nursing. Impressively, after she graduated, she moved to London and started working in an ED department as a newly qualified nurse. Alongside her current role, Nicola, like me, is an army reservist, using her own free time to work as a nurse within the army. She is also a black belt in judo, having recently made the army's women's judo team. So without further ado, here is Nicola. Right, Nicola, why did you want to be a nurse? So my original plan was never really to be a nurse. I had originally done two years at medical school and then decided that being a doctor wasn't the career for me. I dabbled in a little bit of sports coaching until I happened to meet an advanced nurse practitioner, which was a role I didn't know existed. Got chatting with her and she was like, go for it, apply for nursing. And kind of, she opened my eyes to the broad spectrum of careers available through having a nursing degree. And that kind of made me go, I'll give it a try. And here I am now. I must have met her over six years ago. And I applied within two weeks before the deadline. I almost missed the deadline for applying for that year. Managed to get interviews in a space and yeah, the rest is history. I just kind of went for it and really enjoying the job so far. Yeah, it's actually crazy how many people I've spoken to that have wanted to be doctors and then realised, yeah. actually, no, this is not what I want no, it's from just healthcare. It's such a different job being a doctor how did you find your student nurse experience? What was university like? What was studying as a nurse like for you? I went to the University of Glasgow to study nursing, which has a notoriously challenging course. It's very science-based and they have very high expectations. It was a very small class, so there was 35 people in my class, I think. Mm. Really good in terms of like pastoral care and support because you know all your lectures. There's only a handful of them. They're all really good in their field. They're all Nurses who've been in clinical practice for a really long time, who've then gone on to PhDs, into education, things like that. Like to the point where you're on first name basis with your head of the nursing school, which is really good, a nice kind of support network there. But it was intense. In lectures, Monday to Friday, nine to five until fourth year. Whereas, because in Scotland, you do 
If you want to graduate with an ordinary degree without honours, you can graduate after third year from nursing. But if you want to stay on and do honours, you do fourth year. So in your last year, you kind of just do a couple of extended essays and your dissertation. So I stayed on and did fourth year. I think that kind of gave me more of the real student experience because we were only in lectures one day a week, which was quite nice. And then you go on to your management placement at the end. So we did like, well, because of COVID, everything was a bit different for us. We had to opt into placement and we got paid as band fours. They were so short and there was so much sickness from COVID and other things that they said that they couldn't put us into placement and expect us to be supernumerary when we were likely to get used in the numbers. And also they couldn't put us at risk of not being paid when we could have got risk getting really sick. And then you'd be just kind of left out on your own if you got sick and that happened. Whereas if you did catch COVID, you would at least have some kind of support behind you because technically you were being employed. So we ended up four months on placement rather than three. I was very lucky in the place I was allocated in my final placement that I wasn't just used as a healthcare assistant. Mm -hmm. I was allocated my own base. I was really well supported. It was a receiving unit, not that dissimilar to A&E where I work now. We had ambulances offloading straight into bays. We were triaging, which is all very similar to what we do in A&E. Did you instead fast because you obviously got a job in ED, newly qualified, which is impressive to say the least. Can you talk to me about your current job role? So I started in A&E at the Royal Free. I've since moved in the last month to accident and emergency at St Mary's. St Mary's is a major trauma centre, so a bit different. Royal Free mm-hmm. had a lot of what we would call probably more medically unwell patients. They're a big renal and liver centre. Whereas we get a lot of stabbings, accidents. So, for example, during Storm Eunice, people they get brought in by HEMS, which is it's technically the helicopter emergency medical services, but they yeah. also have ambulances. Cars. <laughs> they have ambulances, so it's generally a doctor, an advanced paramedic team who will bring people in. So we had someone who'd been crushed by a tree, and then other things that get brought in as a trauma that turn out not to be. But it's kind of been shown that having the trauma response initially and when we put out a trauma call we get things like anaesthetist surgeon orthopedics potentially plastics depending on the thing sometimes medics depending on what they've come in with and we have a trauma team lead which is a designated A&E consultant someone very experienced leads the trauma call and you also have a nurse and depending if they're bleeding you might have to do like code red situations that makes it all the better because you've got that really fast response from all these people and you can step them down. So if the patient actually is quite well, we can send those other doctors away. But it does mean that if they are really unwell, we're not then scrambling to get people, which it gets better outcomes. So what drew you to ED nursing? From the outset, I always knew I wanted to do something more acute. Having worked in like a nursing home and done placements on wards and things like that, I knew that the pace of ward nursing probably wasn't for me. I've always had that little bit of kind of thirst for knowledge. And I think with A&E, there's a lot of different routes you can do to mm. specialise. You can be an emergency nurse practitioner, advanced nurse practitioner. And that kind of drew me to that is that there's one loads to learn because you never know what's coming through the door. Every single day is different. Mm. You would come into a shift and you would probably turn your bays over of different patients three or four times. You have a much higher turnover of patients. So you learn a lot. You are always on the go. You don't really ever sit down very much. And yeah, just the acuity of it all. Like I would much rather have a day, a busy day in recess where you've got Mm. some 
quite sick patients and you also get really quite rapid results which in terms of the that little bit of like not adrenaline rush but that little bit of oh I've fixed someone yeah it's satisfaction isn't it yeah it is is satisfaction (laughs) because you get and you get quite quick results sometimes in Amy yeah you might have a really sick asthmatic who you've actually given all these different meds to and you go back in half an hour to review them and you're like oh this person looks so much better and you might end up discharging them home because you've done all those things so quickly that you've actually you're like I, f- I fix them and I I don't know if you find this but there is a particular type of nurse that goes into ED people yeah. love it or hate it don't they but you'll be the same with ITU I've never worked in ITU it's a di- I think there's certain yeah. kinds of nurses any nurses overall are adrenaline junkies yes I agree One with that <laughs> and I would say that when you go to different places even as a student I noticed it I'm obviously quite into my sport and things like that. And I find there's more like-minded people who are into like the outdoors and all of these things in A&E than in any other department I've ever worked in. <laughs> because I think it's just that certain. And I think IT is the same. You always yeah. know if a doctor is IT or A&E when they walk in with a little bike helmet. Yeah. They're like seems clicking with their little bike shoes. <laughs> yeah, it is a thing. It's a known, it seems to be a known thing that ITU and A&E tend to be like much more into their sport and that kind of thing. It's that um, outgoingness, isn't it? To like yeah, push yourself. I think, it is. I think it's that slightly thrill-seeking part of them yeah. as well. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, I do. yeah, we're crazy, essentially. That's the moral of that. We're mental. <laughs> when something starts to go wrong is when you see people who work in critical care in their element when that alarm goes off or you look at that patient when they come through the door and you're like oh this person is like really unwell just from looking at them you're like this person's unwell and that's when I think all of your training kicks in but you don't flap and I think that's something that's really important to be funny first I think that's really important in all nurses being able to take that in your stride and thinking right these are my steps this is what I need to do this is my assessment anything if you're not sure you just go back to your ATE assessment it is our bread and butter like when I harp on at students about it they're like oh but and I'm like no like doesn't matter how sick someone is because if they don't have an airway they're not they're dead yeah like (laughs) if they don't have an airway if they're not talking to you they're not making any kind of breathing noises you get someone like now there's nothing wrong with asking for help like I do it all the time you're you're never gonna get the thing I always teach students is you're never going to get into trouble for call, pulling the call buzzer, the emergency buzzer. Oh, You'll get never. in trouble for not calling the emergency buzzer. We had a student pull it because someone's canyon had came out and there was blood everywhere, which doesn't phase us. But to the student, there was just blood everywhere. Yeah. It was fine. We were like, it's okay. And we explained what to do next time. Yeah. We'd much rather do that in case they were hemorrhaging randomly from somewhere. I think people think, because it's called the crash bell in some places, yeah. and it's like, it's it's not the crash bell, it's an emergency. I've an emergency pulled it. Buzzer, yeah because I couldn't reach something and I was holding an airway but I could reach the crash bell and there was no one yeah. near me so I was like I'll just pull that and be like eh, otherwise I'm gonna lose this airway so there's yeah. there's lots of reasons to pull it you don't necessarily the heart doesn't need to stop and you should never no. feel that you've pulled it for the wrong reason there's there's no wrong reason exactly <laughs> I've had a friend because she was trapped in a bathroom with a dementia patient who was throwing shampoo bottles at her and she came to the door. This is when she was a bantu. So she pulled the emergency crash buzzer because she was being assaulted by a patient who didn't have yeah. the capacity. And she was like, I'm not going to put hands on the patient because they might hurt her further. So she pulled the buzzer so other people could help get her out of the bathroom. And I think any situation where you're just really unsure, you feel really unsafe, you pull the emergency buzzer. 
you touched on it briefly and it's hard not to talk about the pandemic when you do a nursing podcast because it's literally been our life for two years but how have you found working through it what challenges have you faced and what challenges do you still face initially there was a lot of challenges in terms of like everything changed so quickly mm-hmm. everyone was on the back foot we didn't know what to do I was a student when it all kicked off but I was doing shifts in A&E as a band too every single time we had a COVID patient we would change all the curtains you wouldn't come out of the bay like you wouldn't nothing would come out of that suspected COVID person's bay you would reach out with a hand to drop bloods into a bag yeah things like that and that that dissolved after about three weeks it just wasn't sustainable you couldn't behave like that so entire areas were made like red or blue whatever color people chose to make yeah it. so any cleared covid and that like we just made entire areas and like you'll know probably more than i do like wearing full ppe for a 12 and a half hour shift was draining knowing that we were having to make decisions about people who pre-pandemic you probably would have thought about resuscitating them but we yeah. knew we had no idea yet. we had no vents to put people on you didn't have anything to throw at them they were for mm-hmm. ward level care because or like non-invasive ventilation because we didn't have any ITU beds. We didn't have any vents. We were having to make those decisions. And so you'll know, because you were in adult ITU during the pandemic, how big we had to get. Yeah. Like, so at the Royal Free, when I was there, we have one floor of ITU. So we have, I think it's 34 beds normally. Mm. We had, within the space of two weeks, 90 ITU beds. It's crazy. Yeah. They took over three floors of hospital and we were full. But generally, like most of the patients, I think at one point there was only two who weren't COVID. And we split, so we had two recesses. We had a blue and a green, so blue was query COVID. I remember actually on Christmas Day that last this last year, so 2021, I walked in and I was just like, It's Christmas, it's gonna be a great day. Yeah. Oh and I had that moment of what's that noise? And I went, That's a CPAP machine. and I literally like I was like no you're kidding me it's Christmas day and we admitted patients even this year on CPAP on Christmas day and then someone else got tubed that day and you're like it's Christmas and it's Christmas 2021 we thought we'd be on through this by now anecdotally we're not seeing the same sickness level yeah but even that surprised me I was just like like the second Christmas in the pandemic I Mm. thought we'd almost be through this by now impact on their families knowing that their family member has been taken into hospital on Christmas day and has ended up in respiratory HDU or ITU I know and you just like yeah and I think the issue is now we might not be seeing loads of COVID but I actually think we're seeing more like just unwell patients because things have been forgotten yeah. about investigations haven't been done people haven't seen their GBs and especially yeah. older people who were scared they yeah, didn't exactly. want to go into the hospital they said that during the pandemic the number of myocardial infarctions happening and cardiac chest pains coming in dropped and they're like but these chest pains don't just go away yeah so what's like happening? it doesn't get less these don't disappear do they where are no. they going so people <laughs> were presenting to the hospital yeah and they weren't coming in because they were scared so now i think we're going to be mopping up the consequences of that, that for a very long time and i also think we're going to be dealing with the consequences of staff burnout the NHS runs on goodwill. If, we, if you didn't have nursing staff doing extra shifts and doctors doing extra shifts and covering gaps in the rota, there's always a gap in the rota. So I think the goodwill is almost gone. People are tired. Yeah. They can't do it anymore. That's what's having a massive effect on staffing. And there's just no bed space either. So mm. social care is having an impact on what we can do in the hospital because there's nowhere to discharge patients to. Yeah. So we're, we're stuck. And this is people are staying in a for longer 
And they've shown that the longer you stay in A&E, the worse your outcomes are. If we were in more of a ward setting, you would have less sick patients for one nurse to deal with. You would have more equipment. So people would be getting up and around and they would recover faster. Whereas they end up in A&E for ages. Yeah. A lot of people don't have the regular meds. So we're struggling to get from pharmacy, things like that. And I think that's going to be the ongoing problem from the pandemic is that there isn't any flow in the hospital. People aren't leaving. That's going to be the long standing effect of this pandemic, isn't it? It's, yeah, we'll, yeah, we may be able to get over that acute looking after the actual COVID patients, but it's all the, the NHS was sort of struggling before. Yeah. And now it's got all of those backlog of things. You're also an army reservist. Can you explain what that means and why you decided to do it? I'd always kind of been interested in joining the army. So from probably about 17, 18, it was always something in the back of my mind that I was like, I'll do it at some point. But I'd always known that I didn't want to do it until I was like qualified in something. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be pushed by the army into a job that wasn't maybe for me. When I was in the officer training corps at uni and had thought about joining as an officer until I discovered that you have to be qualified for two years as a nurse before you can join as an officer in the reserves. Mm-hmm. So I was like, do you know what? I'll give the soldiering side of it a go, which is obviously how we've met. So did my basic training back in December 2020, which was cold. I won't lie. It was cold. Yeah. Overall, like, not as grueling as some people make it out to be. Like, yeah. if you are, if you like the outdoors and you're into, like, fitness and things like that, if you learn quickly, you actually will do quite well. So did that and then joined you guys at the 256 Field Hospital. So in a nursing role, I think it gives us more opportunity to train even before I joined a major trauma centre, when we did annual camp and things like that, we do massive simulations of what it would be like to be in a field hospital, which gives you a different experience. And it also gives you experience of how you treat things in a slightly more austere environment where actually you could just be looking after someone in a big tent with very yeah. minimal equipment. So you learn how to do more skills. It's also given opportunities for doing courses. Like, as we said, the NHS is very stretched. So getting opportunities to do courses is very, I would say, limited. They are still there, but they're harder to get. So getting things like immediate life support and paediatric immediate life support was much easier to get through the army than it was Mm -hmm. through my civilian role. So it complements each other really well. And on the other side of it, I'm also on the army judo team. So I've done judo for a really long time. Kind of pandemics kind of put it on the back burner. I don't really do. I wouldn't really call myself a judo player anymore. I'm still on the team. I mean, Um, you're a black belt. So I mean, (laughs) I'm still a judo player. Like, I went to judo camp in January. The nice thing about my job, well, I have changed jobs, so I no longer self-roster. But when I was in my old job, I used to self-roster. So all I did was rearrange my shifts around it. So I don't have to take any unpaid time off work. Yeah. And I do get paid by the army to go and do those things. And on that camp, being one of two females, I got chosen to be on the women's team. <laughs> which means, actually, in June, I'm going to represent the army at the Inter-Services Judo Championships. Army versus Navy and RAF, which is a big opportunity and it's going to be down yeah. in Portsmouth Navy's hosting it this year. But before then, I've got another camp, which we get the opportunity to coach on as well, helping them represent more females in the sport, which is always helpful, always nice. But like overall, all of my both jobs I've had since have been quite supportive. Um, yeah. They both signed up to the Armed Forces Covenant, which means you get yeah one week's paid leave a year, which is really nice because it gives you opportunity to go to things like annual camp. You can take a bit of unpaid time off if your matrons and stuff will allow and then things like when we do our weekends and stuff. It's very like, doable. Yeah. And I've always found, yeah, the two trusts I've worked at, they've they've never seen it as a hindrance. They've only seen yeah. it as a benefit. I've never, and I always, I mean, to this day, I still get people coming up 
saying you know oh what is it that you do when you're with them and yeah. how did you get into it? I always get questions always positive I've never had a negative experience from being a reservist no people are always really positive and I am always encouraging people I'm like if you're curious go to a recruitment open day but I yeah. would say like so in my last job I was the only reservist like across mm-hmm. tri-service I was the only reservist in the entire department whereas at Mary's at Mary's because it's a trauma center we've got an RAF doctor we've got at least two or three army doctors one of our new band sevens he's a nursing officer which yeah. is it's a little bit exciting because it means you're more supported yeah so there is like things like our nursing competencies that we need to get signed off which as I'm sure you're aware are quite hard to get signed off when you're in a yeah. military setting unless you've done annual camp and things like that having that little bit of extra support with people who know as well and also it means you've got something else other than just your normal job to talk about at work yeah exactly I mean it's still medical but at least you can talk about yeah the green stuff at least and running around in a field my friends at work joke that I get paid to run around in a field I'm like yeah I do (laughs) (laughs) I did a rangers weekend a couple weeks ago and I was like well I got back to work on the Monday I was like like my arms are a bit tired I haven't done rangers in ages and holding the rifle when you haven't done it for ages is just a different muscle memory I was just like oh my arms hurt and they were like what are you doing I was, like, I was in the rangers they're like what do you mean that I was like I was shooting my rifle at some targets yeah. and they were like you're allowed to shoot a gun and I was like yeah it's part of me I said I'm still a soldier though soldier like, first all soldiers, <laughs> exactly all soldiers need to I said I'm very basic weapon skills yeah like I'm by no means a very good shot but I still need to have the basic skills of yeah. using a using a pistol and using a rifle because those if we go on deployment are the weapons that we're going to be handling it's I like the fact that it's different it's still part like we're still nurses in the reserves but yeah. it's still different and it just yeah. even though it, you do it on your days off it still feels like a change yeah exactly you get to meet a really like broad spectrum of people we are all still medical don't get me wrong but people work across all different sites loads like not just London even our units London we have people working all over the place yeah. which is nice because you get to see how different things are done and yeah. like how people's different careers have progressed and things like that as well, which gives you a little bit of insight into what you could do as well. The incentive is the other things you get from it, like the yeah. tra- training courses that you'll get paid to go and do, the other experience, the fact that when you have that on your CV, yeah, it sets you apart and it does. And some people are like, oh, does it really matter? And you're like, actually, when you've got like Joe Bloggs and Jane Bloggs both applying for a job, but one's an army reservist and actually can talk about all these other things they've done and about all these different leadership skills they've developed through that. It, may, it does make the difference, I think, anyway. Because you're taking your, your free time to yeah. go do something different and that just shows, I think that shows what type of person you are. So. Yeah, I think it does. And I think there's always a variety in personalities in any job, but there is always one common thread overall in the reserves I wouldn't say overall in the army because they don't have a choice to be there but in the (laughs) reserves people are generally quite keen and like because they've chosen to be there they've chosen to do it if you're not that keen then why have you chosen to be a reserve because it's your own personal commitment so what are your plans for the future what do you see yourself doing in five ten thirty years time (laughs) Well, I think in 30 years' time, I won't be doing bedside nursing. I don't think <laughs> I'll be able to do it. That's something that probably before I started as a nurse, I never really quite thought about. But actually knowing the physical and mental toll that bedside nursing takes on the body 
and your brain and your mind and your mental health things like that I can't see myself doing bedside nursing for my entire career with the best will in the world and all the best moving and handling skills we do things like pushing trolleys we squeeze between gaps we try not to trickle trip over lines we hit our heads on monitors like oh all of- the amount of times I've hit my head on a monitor my poor brain <laughs> <laughs> you're squeezing behind something to get something but there's not enough space in the bay so you're having to go between where the wires are things like that I can't imagine when I'm 50 I'll be doing that but in hopefully in the next kind of probably more 10 to 15 years I would love to do helicopter emergency medical services would be like the dream but it's very challenging to get into as a nurse but it's doable it is doable. doable there are some nurses that do it not in London but it is doable. So it's something that very long term I would love to do. It's going to involve doing a lot of extra training. I can kind of see myself working in the major trauma for at least the next couple of years, applying for my band six, hopefully this year. And so kind of upskilling in terms of management and more being in charge of an area. And then maybe lecturing when I'm a bit older. Once I've done my kind of thrill seeking career, <laughs> I actually think I'd quite like to go into education, maybe not lecturing, but maybe like being like clinical practice educator because I know from previous jobs the impact that having a positive one can make and having one yeah. that's not very good can make like that's definitely impacted on my career even really early on having someone who isn't that supportive can make a massive difference to kind of how you get on in your job yeah so I would exactly. do that so my final question for you is what makes an ass so I've been mulling this over quite a lot because there's so many different things I'm not sure I could ever find one word to sum it up but I definitely think competence and caring kind of summed up best for me emotional intelligence as well I think is something that's really really key it doesn't matter with the best will in the world you can be the nicest person but if you're not competent at your job you don't have the skills to do it then you're not going to be able to do the job you have to be caring someone recently said to me and it kind of stuck with me, actually, this expression is patients are coming to a This could be their worst day in their life. It might just be a routine day. This is just every day at work for you. But this could be the worst day of their life so far. Yeah. And we have to treat them as if that is. Because I think we become very, not numb to it, but people who aren't like who we know because we have that clinical knowledge aren't actually that sick and could be probably better managed somewhere else. But to them, this, say, abdominal pain is the worst thing that they've ever experienced. Yeah. That might be, they might have never experienced any other kind of pain. And we have to treat them as if, like, what they're saying is what we should go by and not brush them aside. And then you do have to be emotionally intelligent and understand how you're feeling. There's all these little things. And I definitely think that really helps as a nurse. Like, having a support system. And being friends with other nurses, actually, often helps. And even if you work, like, we work in different areas. But having, being able to talk about frustrations and things like that, yeah it definitely helps but I also think it helps having people who don't really know to talk about something different helps and that would definitely be my tip for anyone in nursing is have your nursing friends or your medical friends but also have people who do something different because you can we're probably always guilty about doing it is unless you've got maybe other things in common with that person who's a nurse you will just talk about nursing yeah and you will talk about that factor and actually in your social life and in your personal life having someone that doesn't do it it's quite helpful I think perfect well thank you very much Nicola for being on my podcast (laughs) it's been it's been a pleasure Han. it's been a pleasure
Thank you so much, Nicola, for coming on the podcast to chat to me about all things emergency nursing and army nursing too. It was really fun to sort of talk about that side of our work and the work that we do with them. So thank you so much. If you're interested in the army and specifically the army reserves, I will leave some links in the podcast description to the army careers website so you can find out a bit more. So thank you again, Nicola. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to you as always. And thank you all for listening. This is that time in the podcast where I remind you again to make sure you subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And also I'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. All the information is in the podcast description. I love to hear your feedback on every episode, so please feel free to message me. I look forward to sharing next week's episode with you. So until then, goodbye. This podcast was written and created by me. All views expressed by myself are my own. All views expressed by my guests are their own.